people kind of they know this world now because they're seeing on the news every day these fucking charlatans and worms going on tv and just saying the most disconnected from reality bullshit and people are like i i don't think this is i think this is lies this feels very lie you know Hello, everyone. You're listening to The Katie Helper Show, and I'm your host, Katie Helper. If you like the show, please leave us a five-star review on iTunes. And as always, remind you that this show could not happen without the support of our listeners. To support the show, visit patreon.com slash the Katie Helper Show, where for just $1 a month, you can help make the show happen. And for $5 a month, you'll qualify for great bonus content, including alternative podcast feed and rarely seen clips that aired on our live shows. Hello and welcome to the Katie Helper Show. Thank you so much, all of you, for joining. Sorry about the delay. We had a tech issue, but we are here and we are going strong. And we have an amazing show for you today, really jam-packed. We have three parts of the show. The first part of our show, we're going to be speaking to two Arab Americans about Joe Biden's prospects in the presidential election, how his support of genocide is having an impact on his prospects. Then I am going to play an interview I did with journalist Max Blumenthal. And then after that, I'm going to be talking to Matt Lieb and Daniel Mate. Matt Lieb is the host of the podcast, Bad Hasbara. Daniel Mate is a co-host of that podcast and also a musical theater lyricist. And he co-wrote that parody cover song that I did, Nothing's Gonna Stop Us Now, about BB and Biden. So let's see, before I start, we're going to start really soon, but make sure you like the stream. Please subscribe. Please become Patreon supporters if you can. Patreon.com slash the Katie Helper Show. You're definitely going to want to because I'm playing about half an hour of my interview with Max, but I have half an hour of an additional interview with Max where he gets into a lot of October 7th allegations and gets into which ones are true and which ones are not true. And he's been really smeared for that. So you're definitely going to want to see that. And yeah, give it a thumbs up. And I'm going to bring in our first two guests. And those guests are Layla Alabad, who is a regional organizer with We the People in Southeast Michigan. She's a proud daughter of Palestinian immigrants, number 12 of her 14 brothers and sisters, and mother of three fierce future social justice warriors. Layla has been a longtime advocate for intimate partner violence and sexual assault prevention, environmental justice issues, voter rights, and movements that amplify justice and the voices of Black and brown communities. She continues to engage the collective power of her ancestral roots and her learning to shift and empower marginalized communities for equitable, sustainable change. We are also bringing on uh, Saba Syed, who is a student at Michigan State. She is a Palestinian American, and she is the head of the Arab Culture Association at her school. And she was also on Face the Nation recently, where she was asked if she would be voting for Joe Biden. So welcome, Layla and Saba. How are you? Hi, how are you? Good, thanks. You? I'm good. How are you? Good. Saba, explain to us where you're joining us from, because you have an interesting background happening right now. Oh, yeah. So as of right now, this might have to switch to a setting. But as of right now, I'm in this McDonald's randomly and I'm not buying anything. I didn't buy anything. Support the boycott. But because um, the Sterling Heights, which is like an hour and a half from where I live, they're having their city council and they've been the constituents of like Estonians have been asking for a ceasefire resolution. They keep denying them. But one of the councilmen 
Mr. Councilman Mike, he decided to retweet my video a lot of the times saying so many things. And then first was saying like, this is the dumbest thing. What is my timeline? And then the other thing was that he said, these people are ushering their doom. And it was like, again, the picture it was the video retweeting of me and Thess and who's my co-panelist on Face the Nation. And I'm like, sir, maybe focus on what your constituents wants and get off Twitter and people won't be mad. Nice. So you're going to speak truth to power to him tonight? Yeah. Somebody, um, this one girl, she reached out to me and she said, hey, like, I think it would be like very powerful if you were to come to say it, because I was going to speak on your behalf on this. But if you can make it. And yeah, I forgot that it was today. And okay. the times. Yeah. So let's play this video that uh, caused such a firestorm of you on Face the Nation. Saba, you said reproductive rights are a huge factor for you, but that you probably won't vote for President Biden. I think it would be hypocritical of me to use reproductive rights as a way to justify voting for Biden when Biden is aiding and sending military aid to Israel, which is airstriking Gaza and blocking humanitarian aids, leading to women there who are pregnant, um, either getting C-sections without anesthesia, not being able to be provided with prenatal care. Okay, so that is a very strong statement, and we're going to be talking about that in a second. But Layla, what is your role in this discussion that we're having tonight? Yeah, um, I'm here tonight um, as the campaign campaign manager for the Listen to Michigan Uncommitted Vote campaign, um, and this is our um, this is a strategy that a very grassroots strategy um, of Michigan uh, community organizers saying that we are going to be voting uncommitted in the Democratic election on February 27th. And so I'd ask both of you, what is it that's motivating you, uh, Saba? You you started to talk about this. But tell us more about why you are either uncommitted or not going to vote for Biden. Um, I think that for my answer, depending on which crowd's listening, there's two parts to my answer where it's me as a Palestinian um, that is living here and has the privilege of living here. And the only thing that's differentiating me from my other Palestinians that are in Gaza right now is just my location and it's my duty to speak out about it. I think it's my responsibility and it's not, I always say it's not to be applauded, it's to be expected. Um, And another thing is that fact that I'm also an American citizen in this country and somebody who's taken AP U.S. history and I've taken eighth grade social studies where they hounded us with our Bill of Rights, our constitution and how we're the great nation that I think that we need to be upholding that constitution democracy, especially when we as a country were established on a genocide that we still kind of refuse to acknowledge uh, fully. And it's still controversial to acknowledge the fact that we were built on slavery and segregation and discrimination in the name of a democracy. And we go to other places claiming that we're helping them out because they're so savages and whatnot. So I think that as an American, it's also my duty to make sure that those running in office don't, they practice what they preach, because if we're going to be the greatest country of them all, we need to be actually doing that, you know, actions speak louder than words. So I think that it's every American's responsibility, actually, to be about our politicians. Um, but yeah. And Leila, tell us more about this initiative, this project that you're launching, what it's going to be doing. 
Yeah. So with this, um, because really it is a collective effort. There's no brand. There's no one organization affiliated um, with uh, Listen to Michigan because it is such a, it's an action that resonates with so many folks from the Arab American community, the Muslim American community, but also the anti-war and pro-ceasefire voters. Um, so it's, it has been a collective effort of all these amazing organizers. And we have support from uh, local and uh, national uh, organizations, as well as our electeds. You know, our um, Mayor Abdullah Hamoud is 100% supportive of the efforts of Listen, uh, Listen to Michigan and the uncommitted vote. Um, and, you know, right now, President Joe Biden, he is not representing the 80% of Democrats who want to ceasefire or the Muslim Arabs and young people who don't want to put, who put him in office in 2020 because it was largely the Arab American Muslim vote that got Joe Biden to win his election in 2020 in Michigan. Um, we are now out protesting his policies in the streets. He has broken uh, a fundamental trust and no amount of lecturing about the greater evil, the lesser of greater evils um, in 2024 will repair that. So I'm going to ask you about that because you're, you, I'm sure you get this all the time, right? That, oh, you're enabling yeah. Trump. Trump's a fascist. Trump is worse than Biden. Biden's bad, but it's going to be worse under Trump. So what's mm-hmm. your guys' response to that? Well, we're aware, well aware that Trump is not our friend. There is a long time between now and November for Biden to change his policy and possibly earn support from voters. But Time is running out and Biden's funding of Netanyahu's war makes a mockery of the president that claimed to fight authoritarianism and for democracy um, when Trump was in office. You know, he made a lot of promises during his campaign trail and, you know, he promised that he was his president presidency was going to be rooted in humanitarian politics. And he has completely abandoned that. Um, and, you know, we have 80 percent of uh, Democratic voters who support a ceasefire to back that up. And what would he need to do to earn your votes and the votes of others? You know, the very bare minimum to even begin talking about what support from the Arab American community, the Muslim American community and the pro ceasefire community, just to have those discussions. Um, minimum would to be to support a permanent ceasefire in Gaza and to reevaluate his policy around um, military funding to Israel. Um, and we make no promises, but this is this would be a start right. to to gain our trust. And what about you, Saba? Um, I kind of will like answer that if like whole thing. Um, first, for Joe Biden to win my vote, I think that. It's going to be hard um, as long. Um, I mean, the only thing, a permanent and immediate ceasefire is kind of what's expected right now. I'm not going to be voting like that's not just going to solve everything. And I think that um, that military aid that is going to Israel, if you're going to acknowledge Israel and the fact that you were helping them in the right, you know, to defend themselves and under that premise of you trying to make sure everything is peace and good using that same money when you do call for um, a permanent ceasefire into fixing the damages that we got caused in Gaza and ensuring that the siege is lifted on it 
And then also, actually, I don't think that he should be running again. I mean, he did violate the Constitution, no consequences there. So actually initiating those steps and then stepping away to let somebody else, um, because that's like, at some point you messed up too much. You need to pay. You need to be, you need to pay for the mur like genocide joke. You've murdered over 30,000 people and you don't get just like a good job. Now you're doing a ceasefire. Um, I think that I've gotten a lot of the comments about Trump as well. And it's, um, it's baffling to me because a lot of the comments are like, well, have fun when he bans um, Muslims. Sir, so you're basically telling me that I have to choose between a president that violated the Constitution and another president that is saying publicly that he will be violating the First Amendment right, your freedom of religion. And then um, a lot of the people were making a comment about reproductive rights as well. Like, we'll have fun with Trump with doing that. Like, also, again, um, that's we should not be encouraging the less evil that they're blatantly saying they're gonna not uphold the values of this country um what i do hope that people kind of get from what i said is that hey you need to start acting now you need to start being more aware of your surroundings and that your advocacy or your call for human rights actually extends to all humans it does not just mean like here within the u.s right Right. I, I, I thought it was great when you brought up reproductive rights, because I think for some people, their feminism like ends at the border. And that's not real feminism or human rights. What is it that you're saying violated the Constitution? When um, I'm not fully like knowledge, knowledge on like the details of it. But when Joe Biden bombed Yemen without the approval oh, right. of Congress, that yeah. is a big no, no. Right. Um, and exactly. Yeah. I'm not sure if surpassing Congress for more aid is just like a law or it's more in the constitution that you can do that. But I'm pretty sure based on my knowledge in eighth grade U.S. history and whatever, the point of it is we shouldn't have a central power. And that's why we have the checks and balances system right. because we were so afraid of a central power. But it seems as if right now it's Joe Biden's right. word. And is that not a central government in a sense? Right. He's um, taking over. They, he's, he's saying that he can do things without seeking congressional approval. And it's interesting because there's certain yeah. things he pretends that he'd love to do, but can't without congressional approval. And then he doesn't do them. Yeah. yeah. Um, and Layla, I know you have to run off and thank you for your time. I know how busy you are. Any final words that you want to share? Also would love to hear briefly about your family's experience in Palestine. And if you still have family there, yeah. where you were born, et cetera. Yeah, I have on my mother's side, my whole family is, is there. Um, in occupied West Bank. Um, and actually my mom was in Palestine. She was in Palestine uh, visiting her family when during October when this all happened. Um, and so it was, you know, I, I felt stressed. I, you know, said today, like I've never watched Al Jazeera more in my life than I did during that time. Um, and I just remember every day, just this, this worrisome and, you know, uh, just really worried for my mom and not really know what was going to happen. And I just can't imagine what it's like every day for our brothers and sisters in Palestine and Palestine and the Gaza right now, um, as they are experiencing a genocide and an apartheid. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. I think Saba had to yeah. run out. I just wa want to make yeah. a quick comment. Of course. Is that this uncommitted campaign moves across, you know, um, cities and 
uh, ethnicities, ethnicities, religion, um, and it's a really a vote for um, humanity. So you know, whether, whatever your politics are, if you believe in humanity, then vote uncommitted February twenty seventh in the Michigan Democratic primary. Great. Okay. Thank you so much. Anything else thank you want to you. say? No, thank you so okay. much for having me on. And we'll, we'll link to the website. Thank you so and, much. And for people who aren't in Michigan, what should they be doing? Yeah. Um, well, there's right now, there's a lot of like national talks that we're talking to other um, other states that do have an uncommitted option or, you know, there, there are other options and we are actually working um, on what that might look like, how we can connect other states into the uncommitted campaign. So more to come in the future. Great. Thank you so much. Thank you. Bye-bye. Now, Saba is moving into a car, and I'm not sure if she wants to join us again or wrap. Saba, give me a thumbs up when you're ready to to join again. Okay, Saba's back. Great. Hello. I'm so sorry. It's probably so unprofessional. I hope McDonald's pays you for this product placement. Look at that. Those two golden arches right behind you. I'm just kidding. You can rotoscope that out, Katie. Yeah. Yeah, I'm just kidding. They offered me a free drink, and I said no. Wow, that is that is principle. It was like a McFlurry. Mm. You're a stronger woman than I. Wow, they offered you a free drink. Wow. Yeah, but I said no, I was strong for the cause. Yeah. Covering them. They don't deserve this. Boycott McDonald's. Yeah. And I know you have to get to your meeting to, and and definitely, I hope someone videotapes. Uh, well, how, oh my God, I sound like so old. It's I hope someone. Streams. Oh, great. So we can play that later. You're, you're speaking to that councilman. But um, any final words before you go off to, to, to speak to your elected officials? Oh, if it's good with you, I can stay on for longer now that I'm like oh. in the car. That was the point of the transition. Okay, sure. Yeah. So like, if that's good. But if the audio is not good, then feel free to tell me. No, it's me okay. Right, then. Brad? Yeah. Yeah, it's okay. Yeah. So tell us what else you would like people to know about um, anything that you want to share about how you came to this decision. Also, your experience in Palestine, because I believe you lived there until you were 10. Yeah. And I visit every summer. Wow. Okay. So what is it? Yeah, I was just there what, this what, past summer. Actually, Yeah, sorry. No, 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 no. And how what was it like? And how is your family who's there right now? Um. I love going there. I mean, I feel like it's home in a sense. And um, I think that I didn't realize what it feels like to like feel like a home till you leave and you're walking there and you just feel like, okay, this is like my street, like my, like I know these people. um, And I think that it might be biased because I'm Palestinian, but I think that being Palestinian really allows me to like honor being Arab as well. And it makes me proud of it because we are at that risk of we are being actively ethnically cleansed and stuff like that. And it's making me want to dig more into my culture and like fight for it. So it's make it's growing that like pride in it as well. Um, I mean, I loved growing up there. I went to a Greek Orthodox school. Um, so it was always good, like celebrating Christmas and then the I'm Muslim. So celebrating Eid and seeing the community there. Um the day that I was born actually is like a very interesting story. Um, what's well, that interesting? It's kind of like it shows you the struggle because to talk about reproductive rights, actually, and addressing Gaza, I think that a good point to wrap this is that Palestinian women, especially, actually suffer a lot because of the occupation. I mean, so the day that I my mom went to labor is about 6 a.m. on like April 9th and Ramallah City, which is in the West Bank, technically, if you're going to talk about 
where Hamas is in Gaza and all of that. Let's talk West Bank. Um, it was under siege. So no one was allowed to leave their houses. You're shot if you leave. So my mom started going into like active labor. And so she called her doctor. His name was Yusuf Barghouti. Like he's well known in like the politics of it. And she said that she's going into labor. And it wasn't until 12 hours later that paramedics were able to get there. And they told my mom, they said, you speak slowly and you come into this and we're going to drive very, very slowly. And they had to be careful when driving, not to turn their sirens on or anything. And then luckily enough that the soldiers around the, ha- the apartment in which we lived in at the time, my mom lived in at the time, luckily enough, they were on a break to eat lunch or something. And then they... Um, she was able to get to the hospital. So to talk about women's rights and reproductive rights extends to all the women in Palestine, whether it's in like the West Bank or even in like Gaza, because to truly believe in reproductive rights is because you believe that the woman should have those guaranteed. And that means any woman of any background, of any religion or any affiliation, because it's a moral it's a moral value that you have. It's not a political agenda. It's a moral value with that affects a human life. Yeah. And uh, yeah, thanks for sharing that story. And uh, as people probably know, things like that in terms of checkpoints happens all the time and people will die because a soldier just doesn't want to let someone through an ambulance through. Yeah. yeah. No, yeah. That was, it was in 2002, so the entire city was on lockdown. It wasn't a, like the, but there were, there is check, there were checkpoints after that, like when my grandma would come babysit me that she would have to go through it. And it, it was interesting hearing about it because my mom didn't tell me till my 13th birthday about it, which I thought was like, hey, could have given me that for like a fun fact or something in school icebreakers, like way to like save me time on that. But Yeah. Any other stories you want to share about your family or about your experience in Palestine? I think that I think something that I understood because I've been doing a lot of work on campus talking about Palestinian students and advocating for that. And then I passed a resolution within our student government two weeks after um, the October 7th, basically making sure that the university is aware that Islamophobia and anti-Semitism are going to rise, um, that Palestinian students and Arab and Muslims should not be blamed for the action for the group. And that extends to also as well Jewish and Israeli citizens. They should not be blamed for the action of the government. And that bill actually took nine hours to pass. And I was there from 7 p.m. till 4 a.m. And we passed that resolution, which was a big, big step. Um for us because it hasn't been like it hasn't happened and we got the student government to release a to release a statement as well but I think that like see wait I forgot where I was going with how like I've like lost my train of thoughts it's okay because you're literally you're handling a lot and you're literally in a car um no yeah route so you may get lost wait what was that question again I'm so sorry just about your experiences in Palestine or your family's experiences and everyone, you're doing great, by the way, in case you're, everyone's in the comments is loving what you're saying. So I, yeah, I'm just, I just got a little bit nervous. I got like this, but no, yeah. So a lot of the work like on campus and my advocacy, I remember I was going with that. So um, obviously I was going to face retaliation. To me, 
I don't see a point in arguing with somebody that doesn't come to the table with an open mind uh, because I'm not here to debate with you. I'm not here to argue with you. I'm here to make change. And if you're going to waste my time, I don't have to deal with you. You could hate on me all you want. You could yap all you want. But at the end of the day, still don't care. Um, so I think with that, I've spoken to a lot of uh, students that may disagree with me politically, I think. Um, even more pro-Zionism students. I wanted to understand that perspective and the meaning behind it and why what I was saying was so offensive because I think there's nothing wrong with learning. And uh, I spoke to a couple of people that grew up in um, Israel, the occupied Palestinian territories. They were sharing kind of what it like is like for them there. And then to me as a Palestinian whose entire like family lineage, I'm like, I can't blame these people for falling in love with the land. Like yeah. going to Palestine, being on the land, you're going to fall in love with it. And I think there's nothing wrong with sharing that and appreciating it and honoring it. So that's just kind of like something that, you know, using my stories of growing up there and sharing that with people like and seeing the other perspective, it's like, I don't blame you for wanting to stay. I want to stay too. But here's how we do it. Like the most the least harmful way in the most respectful way because we don't want history repeating itself i think and i um i do a lot of my work just in hopes that like my family like back home can see it i don't send anything to them i don't tell them my mom is here but i didn't tell my family back home about face the nation because it's like i'll know that i've done good awareness to this is like when they find out about it on their own because i know they watch the news and they keep up with it um and that's something that, like, is, I'm hoping one day it will happen. Um, I just always known, like, since I was very, very, very little, like, something in me, like, was pulling me towards it and, like, guiding me, being like, hey, like, you are, Palestine, like, obviously matters to you. But it was a deep connection. Like, once you're older, something's going to change. You're going to help make it change. And I forgot about that thought up until these past few months when all of this is happening. And it seemed as if, like, I'm very grateful for all the opportunities that are like lining up for it. Um, I know I like went off track to the question. No, it's great. Yeah. But like, yeah. Well, well, thank you so much for joining. We'd love to have you again. Next time we'll do it where you're in a stable place. So the sound yes. is good, but I totally yes. understand you're doing important things. So, and everyone, as you'll see when you're watching later, the comments are very positive. So thank you for joining and come back and good luck speaking truth to that councilman. Thank you. If anyone wants to watch it, it's live streamed on YouTube or you can watch it after. Stay tuned on this show. Yeah. But thank you so much for having me. I'd love to be back when I'm in a stable environment. And I'm very sorry. Like it had to come to this. No, don't apologize at all. This has been great. Yeah. Thank you. Have a great day. Thanks. You too. Bye, Saba. Bye. Okay, that was great. All right, guys, don't go anywhere. This show is just, it's, we're going to keep on keeping on because right now uh, I'm going to play an interview that I did with Max Blumenthal. Make sure you become Patreon supporters too, if you can, at patreon.com slash the Katie Halper Show. And you're definitely going to want to do that because my Max interview is uh, only half an hour and there's a whole half an hour or more. Don't leave after Max because after Max, we're going to have on Daniel Mate and Matt Lieb. And Matt Lieb does a really funny Bat Hasbara podcast and he does these great videos we'll play some of them where he plays a liberal zionist and we're going to be talking about hasbara which is israeli uh propaganda and then also stay to the end because after we wrap that's when the max patron is going to be live okay here we go
So excited to be talking to Max Blumenthal. He is the founder and editor of The Gray Zone. He's the author of several books, including The Management of Savagery. Welcome, Max. Good to see you. Thank you. You too. (laughs) Uh, It's been a while. But wanted to ask you to start off, you have done a lot of really important reporting and you've been smeared, which is always a sign that you're doing something right. But want to start off with your assessment of where we are right now in not only this genocidal war against Gaza, but also this regional war, which the United States government is denying is a regional war and is pretending is like discrete mini wars. Yeah, I I take heart in being smeared. It's worse than uh, not being credited for my work by other publications, certain other publications, honestly. It's better to be acknowledged than not, even if it's hatefully done. But yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, we've been covering this war longer than we thought we would have. I mean, I thought the 51-day war in 2014 was insanely long and grueling. And uh, I'm almost, I've almost lost count. It's over 120 days. And it was only a matter of time before the war expanded throughout the region. That's really what's happening. While Tony Blinken has been on, I, I've lost count, I think he might be on his fourth trip to the Middle East now, um, apparently trying to work out some deal to convince Hezbollah to withdraw some of its forces from south of the, the Litani River in exchange for Israel making huge compromises, which would lead to some of its population maybe being able to go back to the north. But it At this point, if the war ended, Israel would face a serious political defeat. Of course, it comes at the price of setting Gaza back 20, 25 years. It would take 10 years to rebuild enough housing to house everyone, at least. Um, But Israel has made no real military progress in Gaza. Its stated goals were to eradicate Hamas and release the hostages. They've done neither. Hamas is still causing casualties, destroying Israeli armor with locally made weapons, especially uh, west of Khan Yunus. And they are still even fighting in the north, which has been mostly destroyed, blanketed with tens of thousands of kilotons of Israeli explosives. So uh, this isn't just my assessment. It's retired U.S. General Frank McKenzie uh, former member of the Joint Chiefs on um, Face the Nation yesterday on CBS said Israel isn't meeting its goals. It's failed in its goals, and its progress has been very limited. U.S. intelligence estimates Israeli forces have killed about 20 to 30 percent of Hamas fighters since October. That is far short of destroying Hamas. Um, How do you judge the level of success of Israel's campaign? It's very limited so far. You know, I think they set themselves a goal of removing the political echelon and the military leadership echelon of, uh, of Hamas when they went in. They have not been successful to date at doing either. And then Hezbollah hasn't even th- thrown anywhere near its full weight into the battle. So where does, what can Israel do? And what can the United States do? They can't, if they, they can't agree to a ceasefire politically. There's so many forces that are preventing them from doing it, even though more and more of the Israeli population wants a ceasefire because they realize that getting the hostages out and uh, keeping the troops in Gaza is are mutually exclusive. 
So what the U.S. is doing is essentially prolonging buying Israel time by bombing all these popular mobilization units in Iraq, um, attacking targets in Syria that they believe are connected to Iran or the IRGC, and bombing Yemen, which has intervened and waged basically an actual responsibility to protect military intervention to prevent genocide. Yemen is the Yemen and the Ansar Allah movement, which effectively control it, are the leaders of the genocide prevention movement, not Samantha Power, who's directly implicated in genocide in Gaza. So the U.S. I mean, what 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 they're doing is completely fruitless militarily. These are like strikes just to demonstrate that Biden is serious, but they're not strikes that take away anything valuable from Iran or any of its allies. They've set, they've changed nothing on the ground and Israel is completely trapped and its social crisis is growing. Remember before October 7th, Israel had this gigantic, mostly kind of like middle-class Ashkenazi uh, metropole movement against Netanyahu, but it was ferocious. I mean, hundreds of thousands of people were in the streets at several points. And Netanyahu crushed that movement and got all of the reservists to actually go back to the army reserves after refusing to go to training with October 7th. But now they're back. They're back in the streets. They're escalating. The movement is turning against Netanyahu. Netanyahu is meeting with the families and telling them there will be no ceasefire. He's basically telling them he's going to kill their children or their loved ones. And when I say kill them, I mean... he. he the Israeli army has killed at least 30 hostages in Gaza since October 7th, probably more. And uh, so, so I think the US and Israel are completely stuck here and they're going to have to cut a deal at some point. There's, there's, there's no way this is going to be resolved militarily. And uh, it's opened up an entire new window into the U.S. presence or, or, or kind of prism for viewing the U.S. presence in the Middle East for us at home, just seeing how much, uh, how secretive it is. There is a new poll out by Defense Priorities today, which is, uh, I would, they're kind of like, I wouldn't call them an anti-war group, but they're sort of like foreign policy moderates and they lobby on the Hill. And this poll found that less than Three out of 10 Americans even know that American troops are in Syria. A majority oppose U.S. troops in Syria when they're told there's a right. presence there. But when they're told that U.S. troops face uh, are receiving casualties, are dying, defending that illegally occupied territory, the number of Americans who oppose the U.S. presence in Syria goes up dramatically. So three Americans, black Americans who were like weekend warriors, who definitely didn't join the military to be human tripwires for war with Iran, were killed at this Tower 22 base, supposedly in Jordan, but it's right on the other side of the illegal U.S. base at Al-Tanaf in Syria. And uh, it might have they might have been killed in Syria. Their, their job there was basically, they're working on construction to help expand the base. Nobody knew that base existed. I didn't know that base existed. Jordan has denied that the, uh, that the, the, that they were killed in Jordan. So we still don't even know the full story here. So the but the what the US is doing is defending this archipelago of bases there. Now 
that aren't popular among Americans. They're prolonging a genocide in Gaza. And there is no clear diplomatic exit ramp that's being provided by Tony Blinken because they're not using the leverage that they have over Israel. They refuse to do it. So this is just a, I mean, it's, it, it's, it's, we're not just witnessing kind of um, a turning point for Israel. This is a real turning point for American empire. Uh, we're witnessing the acceleration of American decline in the Middle East. So why is the United States doing what it is doing, given that it's not striking significant targets? You said that Biden wants to just show his own strength. What is motivating the U.S. in these areas and also in Israel? Well, they're defending Israel's strategic depth. And def- and as Jake Sullivan said, NSC director Jake Sullivan, I guess it was on Meet the Press yesterday, and I can't believe they're still saying this, they, Israel needs to fight this war until Hamas is no longer a threat. Um, so they're just buying Israel time. Because the intervention by the Houthis was actually economically effective. And, you know, it's sort of like the old OPEC boycotts where they would actually get together and, and turn off the tap uh, in protest, for example, of Israel's occupation of the Sinai Peninsula. And that's Organization of Petroleum Exporting Countries. Yeah, back when the Arab states weren't completely controlled and co-opted by the West or largely controlled. I mean, what you have here is a collection of non-state actors, some of whom effectively control states or have a large stake in states, like Hezbollah has a huge stake in Lebanon, which is why they're not uh, excited for escalation. But they're, they're, they're filling the void that was left after the end of the Cold War and then the Oslo Accords, where there was just this absence of Arab resistance to the Israeli and U.S. presence in the Middle East. And they're putting pressure on the U.S. and and Israel in a way that we haven't seen before. I mean, all it took was one of the poorest countries in the world uh, that had been devastated over the course of uh, eight, eight and a half year proxy war waged through Saudi Arabia, but still stood strong. Uh, All it took is them choking the Red Sea and Bab al-Mandab off to uh, shipping specifically from Israel and the US to provoke this kind of response because it was economically painful. Um, And I mean, it was largely bloodless. The US, you would think rationally would have just responded and said, you know, we need to right the ship. We need to turn down the temperature. Our troops are at risk. By that point, when the Houthis or Ansar Allah started their blockade, Biden said, U.S. troops will begin to take casualties. Because like um, Kaitab Hezbollah, which is a a Shia-oriented resistance group in Iraq, was starting to wage drone, like drone swarm attacks on U.S. bases. So Biden called it. He knew U.S. troops would die. He could have prevented those deaths. Those three black American soldiers would still be alive if he had just imposed a ceasefire. But they can't do that. And they can't do that for political reasons, domestic political reasons. Biden will face uh, abandonment of donors to his 2024 re-election campaign. <clears throat> Tony Blinken's future will be in peril because you know he's going to walk through the revolving door 
go back to West Exec Advisors after the State Department and hump in contracts through his contacts at State and the Pentagon for arms industry clients that are also invested in Israel and you know Israeli tech. I mean, remember uh, West Exec Advisor Jen Saki, who is now the you know chief propagandist at MSNBC, was the White House press secretary. Circling back to Jen Psaki, yeah. Circling back, we're going to circle back to Jen Psaki. Yeah. She was consulting for an Israeli spy tech firm through West Exec Advisors. So it's it's a lot like Ukraine too. I mean, why why was Victoria Nuland <clears throat> in Kiev promising more, a few surprises for Vladimir Putin and more U.S. aid to a country that's lost the war, um, that's just shoveling whatever's left of their warm bodies into the slaughterhouse in order to just keep this war against Russia going? There's a huge incentive for them record record weapon sales i mean we're seeing record profits that off the charts profits in weapon sales due to ukraine and now due to the post october 7th gaza war which is expanding um and 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 then tony blinken's own zionism is a factor jake sullivan he's not jewish he's committed to the zionist project biden's a big zionist and he's not jewish and Biden, you know, he's also someone who just doesn't really respect Arabs as a political force. He just has never seen them as a political entity, even either in the United States or in the Middle East that deserved respect. Um, and that's, that, that, that's clear from his reflexive reaction to October 7th, where he bear hugged Netanyahu. Tony Blinken went over there to, uh, went to Tel Aviv and said, I come here as a Jew. And it's, that was the moment that he basically forfeited all influence and leverage, as well as his diplomatic status. At that point, he was just Netanyahu's bitch, or he was like Netanyahu, Netanyahu was like the bar mitzvah tutor, and he was the bar mitzvah boy. That's what it really felt like at that point. And that's a role that Netanyahu l- loves to be in, um, he sees himself sort of as a mentor to U.S. presidents to help them understand the Middle East. And he speaks to them about this Hobbesian jungle that only he understands and that the Arabs only understand force. And now it's clear, and you know, everyone in the Biden administration knows, they kind of got played, they reacted emotionally, and now um, they are being, I hate to say dragged in because the U.S. is there for you know, reasons of its own. But they're being dragged into a situation where they don't really have a clear strategy. They don't have an exit strategy, just like we would, just like George W. Bush's people said. And and it's not like uh, it's 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 not very complex. I mean, this is pretty simple from kind of a, a the from the point of view of American national interest and real politics. It's pretty simple. You just tell Israel they're not getting spare parts for their F-16s and the whole thing ends. Right. They wouldn't last a second, but they won't do it. Um, and this is a real reason to oppose Biden uh, because it means you know his base by massive margins supports a ceasefire. I was driving around Capitol Hill today, walking around. For the first time, there are no Ukraine flags up and there are ceasefire now signs mm. on... Like every block, there's a house that has a, cease, a full ceasefire now sign. Um, you know, you I, I I watched the 
Grammys in a sort of act of masochism last night. And, you know, I was impressed that Annie Lennox made the call for a ceasefire. And she was, you know, embodying Sinead O'Connor singing Nothing Compares to right. Sinead O'Connor. Was critical was of Israel. Yeah. She was a vocal supporter of Palestine, yeah. you know. So I looked at the list of celebrities who had signed on, and like these were A-listers. There are major people there, uh, including like Dua Lipa, who opened the Grammys uh, and, you know, was up for awards. Right. So it's clear that, a, you know, a certain line has been crossed where major celebrities are no longer afraid of threatening their own bottom line. These are people in Hollywood, but also people in the recording industry. And, uh, you know, the liberals, the DC liberals are starting to openly oppose the genocide with full ceasefire now signs, which are like, it's, it's not like no to the genocide, but it's still Something yeah. that is becoming kind of a cause celeb. Yeah, I mean, and it still harms with, you. Like Susan Sarandon is is got canceled, but yeah. if you're really, really, really rich, no, because she did it early on. Right, she did it. Yeah, she was ahead of the curve. Right. She already knew. A lot of these people are just waking up. Right, to and good on the them. Horror of Israel yeah. and Zionism. Right, and you know, the, you got to understand, like that area on Capitol Hill. Like those are like the Hill staffers. Those are where people who actually have real skin in the game with the Democrats live. When uh, in 2020, they would have huge homemade signs up like, like by Don, it would be right. like, a Bi- it would say Biden. It would be like in the uh-huh. Biden font, but it would right. say by Don. And they home they made homemade signs for Ruth Bader Ginsburg and put them on their lawns when she died. And now these signs are going up. So this is, and this is, and this is uh, at a point where Donald Trump is beating Biden in the polls, or leading Biden in the polls. The new polls that came out, I think it was like a CNN poll showing that a vast number of Americans trust Donald Trump more on the economy, like by 20% than Joe Biden, even as supposedly the job reports are good. Yeah. So what I'm saying is like Biden is facing so much pressure from his own base to do a ceasefire and he still can't do it. He would rather bomb popular mobilization forces that fought ISIS and defend secret desert bases in the hinterlands on the Jordanian-Syrian border than do what his own base wants. And uh, that really shows you what the Democratic Party is, what Joe Biden is, what Nancy Pelosi is, barking at protesters outside her uh, outside her home, her mansion in San Francisco, that they should go back to China where their headquarters is. So That's what she said. Yeah. Uh, that the FBI should investigate them. You, you're seeing a real disconnect. Like the Democratic Party elite is still stuck in the Trump Russia era. And yeah. they think they can still get away with those old tricks. And it's just not working with their own base. Well, I'm going to ask you more about the presidential elections, but I just wanted to have you react to a little video since you brought up Annie Lennox, Noah Tishby, friend of the show, Noah Tishby, who identifies as a former special envoy for combating anti-Semitism and delegitimization of Israel, mom, author, acting, producing. And she's been talking to a bunch of people like Brett Gelman, who I'd never heard of before October 7th, honestly, Deborah Messing, 
Michael Rappaport, that insane British guy who wrote the screenplay to Borat. But here she is reacting to Annie Lennox. So let's take a look at what she has to say. Did you see this? Is this going to be like a real-time reaction? Yeah. Okay, great. Hi, everybody. So uh, tonight, the Grammys were hijacked in favor of Hamas agenda, denying Israel's right to defend itself and also not calling for the release of the hostages. So basically giving Hamas exactly what they wanted. You know, I think that next time a <laughs> singer wants to do something that's good for humanity, they should probably call on the release of innocent women and a baby and a toddler from the hands of a genocidal terrorist organization. I think that's probably a good idea. Wow. So much to unpack there. Yeah. Hijack for Hamas agenda. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Hijack for Hamas agenda. <laughs> I mean, if she if she didn't have like a decent American accent, I know she was born and raised in Israel. Yeah. That would be more forgivable. Right. I know. Yeah, you just got that. You just need that indefinite article in there, Noah. And like, come on, who are who is she? She's not like some these people are so such like D listers. That's why they really sign are. on to these jobs. Right. But uh but what also like this speaks to what you were talking about before, the idea that a ceasefire is mutually exclusive with bringing hostages home when obviously it's the exact opposite. Like the only way they can get hostages home is if they pause at the very least. Obviously, a ceasefire would be ideal. And that's what we want. But they would really rather kill more Palestinians and save Jewish life. Like we all know that they yeah. hate Palestinians, but their shtick is that they're supposed to be a safe space and a haven for Jews and protect Jewish life at all costs. And they're killing hostages. I mean, they literally shot three of their own. They were speaking in Hebrew, waving a white flag. We've reported on what happened on October 7th, but it's just sociopathic, this bloodlust. Yeah. They, I mean, the, the, some of the family members of the hostages are, openly stating that they're killing them deliberately to prevent a prisoner swap, which would be politically devastating for Israel's elite. I think, you know, it could actually be good for the population of Israel to turn down the temperature a little bit, but they're so indoctrinated that a majority of Israelis support continuing military action indefinitely. Um, and don't even, they, they, they just simply don't understand and what she's what she's calling for is uh, something that are actually already happened at the Grammys. Harvey Mason Jr. was the CEO of the Recording Academy, gave some really milk toast, annoying speech where he immediately mourned the killing or deaths of people at the Nova Electronic Music Festival and said basically they're just killed they're just killed for being music fans. Um, and we've mourned everything. And and then and he said 40 of them were taken hostage. Uh, but, and we've mourned every day all the tragedies that have happened since. So not mentioning any Palestinians or right, mentioning how many Palestinians were killed. I guess they're not music lovers. Then he, as he left the stage, four classical musicians began playing. And he said that they were Israelis and Palestinians playing together for peace. Like just the most cartoonish display of liberalism. But the fact is, the head of the Recording Academy acknowledged the hostages mm. and the killing of many people on October 7th. So she just kind of is lying there. I didn't really see it be hijacked for Hamas oh, agenda. Lying about that. I mean, <laughs> one person got up and called for a right. ceasefire. But I mean, there are, there are like hundreds of thousands of Israelis or at least tens of thousands protesting for a ceasefire every weekend. 
and camping out outside Netanyahu's house. So I guess that's Hamas agenda too. Right. Noah Tishby's really close to the war cabinet. I mean, she's she had a party at her uh, like penthouse apartment in Tel Aviv, and Benny Gantz was photographed there, putting his arm around her and kind of smiling. And it became a minor scandal in Israel because you know it's supposed to be a nation in mourning. People uh, are not going partying. about their usual partying and so on, and although they actually are, um, <clears throat> but you're not supposed to do so publicly. And so Benny Gantz got in trouble, and she looked kind of like she wasn't serious. Uh, but Benny Gantz, you know, this is this guy is the chief of staff. Was the chief of staff in 2014 who oversaw the 51 day long slaughter. Um, I mean, a hundred thousand people were turned homeless. Hundreds and hundreds of children were killed. I think over a thousand children were killed. Um, and he campaigned on how many Palestinians he killed when he ran for prime minister against Netanyahu, he had an ad that just showed the ruins of Gaza. And it said, and then, and then it, um, it cited the entire death toll, which in the Israeli mind is all terrorists. Yeah. And it said something like only Benny Gantz knows how to defeat terror. So gross. So there are obviously people who are saying they're not going to vote for Biden. What do you predict about 2024 and how do you think Trump would be as president? And that is where I'm going to leave you on that cliffhanger. So you want to watch the rest of that interview with Max where he talks about what a Trump presidency would be like, where he actually talks about who he thinks should be president next, where he talks about the uh, investigation they did into October 7th, goes through that. Then you can find that at patreon.com slash the Katie Helper Show. Again, that's patreon.com slash the Katie Helper Show. And you can find that right after we wrap up streaming because we want to make sure that everyone sticks around for this. And then you can go and watch the rest of that Max Blumenthal interview. I think it is a pretty good cliffhanger. But going to bring on the next guests. Make sure you like this stream if you haven't already. Make sure you subscribe if you haven't already. We're almost at 200K subscribers. And also make sure you become Patreon supporters at patreon.com slash the Katie Helper Show. Again, that's patreon.com slash the Katie Helper Show. But liking and subscribing is totally free. Okay, we're bringing on our next guests. And those guests are Daniel Mate, who is a musical theater lyricist, the only mental chiropractor, also a co-writer of a parody video that I did with him, and also Matt Lieb, a podcaster, the host of the Bad Hasbara podcast, and an award winner. So let's bring him on. Hey. Hi, guys. Hey, how you doing? Thanks for joining. Good, you? Good, good, good. Yeah. Hey, Katie. Hi, Matt. Hey, what's up, buddy? What's up, brother? You look good. So do you, but that's nothing new. Yeah. You know, Aww, we're just, fast. we're all, there's a very good looking podcast you got going. Yeah, it is. That's what we uh, require that. We have auditions beforehand. And yep. if we don't like the way you look, then we... Put a black screen in front of you, but uh -huh. you can still join. You just can't be visible. I had to submit an audition tape where I was naked. Yeah. I just yeah. want everyone in the chat to know that. And he passed. That that's how it's run. <laughs> yeah, that is that is how the sausage, so to speak, gets made. Mm -hmm. You know, th those old those old t-shirts, you know, no fat chicks. You could have a... Mm -hmm. No uh, mat chicks. This is, no, 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 no ugly guests. Yes, yes, yeah, yes, no yes. no ugly guests, yeah, yeah. And people, let's just let's just address that uh, that uh, elephant in the room. Yes, Daniel Mate is Aaron Mate's brother. 
and the son of Gabor Mate. Mm-hmm. And co-author. And co-author of a book that they wrote called The Myth of, Myth of Normal. What Which we talked about on, on the show. Uh, trauma, illness, and healing in a toxic culture. And you yeah. can go back through the Katie Helper Show archives and find uh, our yeah. interview on the topic. Yeah, there you go. So before we get into our interview where we're going to be talking about Hasbara and satire, I do have to take this opportunity to play once more. If you've already seen it, I'm sorry. Should we play it once more? Daniel, do you want to I can want to hear it. All right. So we're going to be, and should we be off stage so people can just experience it full screen? I mean, yeah, right? otherwise they'll have to see your face while you're experiencing it and they'll see. I know. And that seems a little it's bit too like, embarrassing. Yeah, it's too you'll, embarrassing. You'll see yeah. me slapping my own knee at my little exactly, jokes. Yeah. And, Laughing hysterically. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So this is a video that um, Daniel and I co-wrote the words to, and then our friends at Kinky Roach Productions did the video too. And actually the behind the scenes birth of it is I texted Daniel and my friend, and I was like, we got to do a cover of this song, Ain't No Stopping Us Now, We're at the Hague. You know, Ain't No Stopping Us Now, and We're at the Hague. And that was because Netanyahu had this tweeted culture. out, yeah, the disco tune. That's because Netanyahu had tweeted out, no, no one's going to stop us, not the Hague, et cetera, et cetera. But then you came back with your idea of doing Nothing's Going to Stop Us, the song by Starship, featured yeah, in that film, Mannequin. Yeah, from 1987 with yeah. Uh, yeah, Elizabeth Shue and whoever it was. Uh, yeah, I just felt that, number one, 80s pop is more universal. It is. And just in terms of a song form that's parodyable and the the catchiness of the chorus right. and the the... It was a much better. Yeah, and the and the and the bromance element of what we were going for. Right, that's true. It's a love song. Yeah, so we're gonna play that song and make sure you share it so that everyone who's not fortunate enough to be here tonight with us watching it live gets to see it. And don't worry, Matt, we're not gonna spend the entire show just talking about that. No, song. No, dude, process. play it twice. I don't. I don't care. I'm having a good time. We're gonna ask you to respond to it. Your thoughts. Okay. What well, Matt, Matt is a pe- thought of. I'm the Matt's a parody. Uh, he's a parody songwriter too. Yes. Yeah. Well, the, I don't have any of those videos. I just have oh, your well, liberal Zionist I'll plug them videos, afterwards. So. No. Yeah. Well, if you want, <laughs> while we play this, if you want to send me any to play, <laughs> no, it's all right. They're all about Daniel. the Wire and the Sopranos. I don't think your audience okay. will necessarily like them, okay. but yeah. Actually, before this, we met uh, years ago. You DM me to ask me to come on the. Oh, that's Sopranos right. Show, but I don't want. I never want. I watched like. Is it still going on? No. Now we're at the Wire. I can come on the wire if you want, if you'll have me. I, I, I would love to have you, of course. Right. Great. That was awkward. Now you kind of forced into a corner. Yeah. yeah. Now it's, yeah. it's too late now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, all right. So let's play this video and then we'll come back and talk to Matt and Daniel about Hasbara. All right. Listen, man. Looking in your eyes, I see that we're aligned. This war that we fund is too good to be true. America's beside you. All these bombs to give you. Our whole GDP will just wire to you. Let them say we're psychos. I don't care about that. History started when Hamas launched their attack. Let the whole damn region just fall apart. We're the persecuted ones, so have a heart. And we can win this. 
sing together Ethnic cleanse forever Nothing's gonna stop us now And when the strip runs out of Gazans We'll go kill their cousins The Hague ain't gonna stop us Nothing's gonna stop us now Lolo I'm so glad we're bombing This war is super calming A ceasefire would mean I'd be going to jail Folks say it's unlawful And yeah, the polls are awful But Trump's on the ballot Of course I'll prevail Let's go, Brandon Let them say it's genocide What do they know? So you bomb the Gazans right where you tell them to go If we kill a hostage Or maybe three That's the price we pay to save ethnocracy You mean democracy And we can win win this this thing thing together together. Human rights, whatever Nothing's going to stop us now So let the courts keep pressing charges Ooh, these block our barges Nothing's going to stop us Nothing's going to stop us now All that I need is you You're all that I ever need And all that I want to Mr. Blinken, yes. Oh, yeah, that's smooth. Smooth like a 2,000-pound bomb. And And we'll we'll just keep committing war crimes, then go do some more crimes. Nothing's going to stop us now. And you can save your moral sermons. Cause we've got the Germans The hate ain't gonna stop us Nothing's gonna stop us And we'll create a global crisis Claim Hamas is ISIS Nothing's going to stop us now And if South Africa accuses They just hate the Jews The hate ain't gonna stop us Nothing's gonna and stop we'll just us keep now. on genociding. Baby rides with Biden. Nothing's gonna stop us now. Nothing's gonna and stop us now. If our wrath gets any lower, we'll invoke the Shoah. The Hague ain't gonna stop us. Nothing's gonna stop us now. Or ever. That's how you sing a goddamn song. You are correct, sir. I think that's the take right there, man. Where's our Nobel Peace Prize? High five. And I forgot uh, to mention, of course, that Daniel is uh, plays voices by Bibi Netanyahu and the wonderful Mike McRae does Biden. The, so, both yeah. are perfect, but that BB yeah. singing is yeah. incredible it's well i had some so great good. i had some great voice coaching from our director katie i mean yeah 
Katie's a little modest, but you were really the brains behind the operation and keeping an eye on the video and the audio. And I did one take of BB that just sounded like me, really. It was really. Then I had to go back. It was gorgeous. Go deeper into my method. Yeah, you know, I, and I, sort of like, I encourage you to re to to bebify. Yeah, yourself. did you like in order to get method? Did you like go down the street and kick oh. a child in the face? I, I went to New Jersey and sold some furniture. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I really, I really became a. I mean, I, I couldn't do it, but, but except you know, you really believed in me. You were, a, you were a believe beer. Yeah. I believe it very. Yeah, I believe beer. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, I believe in, I believe in both of you. I be believing you. I be believing you. Someone in the comments is like, I'm never going to be able to watch Mannequin again without laughing, which I didn't <laughs> realize people were still watching Mannequin. But nice, <laughs> deep cut. I don't think Mannequin is supposed to be like. A heavy, serious piece. Like, I, I think you're allowed to laugh during mannequin. Right. It's like I'll never it's watch light... Tinder's List or Mannequin again without laughing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, both comedies. But, both comedies. Yeah, I'll never be able to keep a straight face during Mannequin again. It's going to be so hard, so hard for me. So, uh, speaking of laughter, Matt, tell us about how you started this podcast, uh, Bad Hasbara, and what the premise of it is. Yeah, it's great. I, I really like it. So. Um... It is, I started it in like late December. Um, and the premise of it is uh, it's about uh, Hasbara. It's about Israeli PR. And uh, it the name I got from an old uh, J-book, Jew-book Jew group um, that I was a part of, you know, back when people were on Facebook. And uh, it was just like a, you know, a group of uh, Jews getting together and just sharing the worst uh, Israeli propaganda um, and just kind of making fun of it. And it's something I kind of always wanted to turn into a podcast. But, you know, I just was like, I, I already I do too many goddamn podcasts, so I can't just also do it. And then um, the seventh happened and um, I find my, I found myself just kind of screaming into the void and onto my phone, making these like, you know, uh, satire videos in order to basically to like shade all of my uh, liberal Zionist uh, like friends and acquaintances and people that I've you know known for years and years um, just to show them what they sounded like. And um, uh, yeah. And then eventually I was like, this is I have I've too much there's too much content here like it's an overload the hasbara has never been so bad um and i was like fuck it i'm just gonna i'm gonna just start doing a podcast you know i'll, I'll put it out whenever i feel like it and it's been like uh, i don't know it's been like a little over a month and i i've done too too many episodes i've done like 11 episodes in you know 40 days or something and then my life is uh is hell, but it's a, uh, it's a lot of fun. And I, and I, and I, I've been on three. Yeah. Them, yeah. Right? Yeah. You've been, uh, on the most, you are, you are, uh, like officially my, uh, my sometimes co-host of the show, uh, whenever I can get you, then, uh, you know, yeah. you, you're we there. Work, we worked out the, uh, we worked out the Amber Ailey Frost, uh, that's contract, right. That's right. Know, just of, of Chapo fame. This, the sometimes yeah, it's, one who's always there. It's the me just texting being like, please, please, please come on. You're so smart. <laughs> Please be available in half an hour <laughs> yeah. from now. Yeah. But yeah, that's that's what happened. And how did each of you learn and then unlearn your Zionism? I never learned Zionism all the way because I had a I, I had a prophylactic. I had a Zionist condom mm -hmm. on, which was my anti-Zionist father who sent me to a Zionist summer camp. Yeah. Kind of and to Hebrew school in preparation for my bar mitzvah. Um with, you know. 
a rabbi who would pull me aside and say, look, Daniel, your father's a, a smart guy and he does good medical work, but his views on Israel are garbage and you shouldn't <laughs> listen to him. And that was the class in which we would play like board games in which, you know, you land on a certain square. It says, talk to the PLO, move back three spaces. <laughs> oh Literally. Wow. I remember that. Vividly. At least talk to them. At least you talk to them as opposed to do something more violent, which is what they probably wanted the game to consist of. But Right, but they're, well, they're teaching us that Zionist, not, not right Yeah, they like Zionist, to pretend that everything... Right no, but they, no, my synagogue was right-wing. Oh, okay. my, my summer camp was liberal. My summer camp was kibbutz, socialist, mm -hmm. and it was a utopia. It was heaven on earth for me. I loved it. I got along so much better with my peers at camp. It was musical. This is where I learned to write parody songs. This is where my I could let my, you know, my freak flag fly in the sense of just being able to fully be myself and hang out with kids of all ages and you know, and the so it was just great, and that's where I started. I had Israeli counselors called Madrichim. I learned some Hebrew, and the, there was a certain, there was a fair amount of indoctrination. Everything was related to Israel, and ultimately, the the mess, the ultimate takeaway is Aliyah is better than no Aliyah. There is better than here. Aliyah is going there, back. It means going up, right? Going up to the mountain. Yes. It means when you're Jew and you go back, quote unquote, to Israel. Right. It's funny. It's the same word that's used um, in synagogue when you go up to read the Torah. So it's like you're actually elevating yourself spiritually. And the word for leaving Israel, emigrating out of Israel, is yerida, which means mm -hmm. going down. Mm. So it's like it's like droopy, the the elevator uh, <laughs> elevator dog going up, sir, <laughs> going down, sir. Um, so anyway, it was very compelling, and it was you know, tempting, but I never fully bought it because I've always been very sensitive to manipulation and also like group sentiment mm. and the and just the the sentimentality of Zionism and the kind of just a national identity. I just never felt an, a hunger for it. There's something kind of unkosher to me about it because I just liked my, I liked being a North American right. Jew, you know? I, I didn't want that disparaged and it was taken for granted that we were somehow unhappy. So I stayed in the, the youth group just for the perks, you know, and, and enjoying it so much. And there started to be more space uh, for dissent. I started having counselors who would bring in articles uh, about Yeshkavul, the, the group of Israeli soldiers. It's called there is a Yeshkavul means there is a limit, literally. And it was the Israeli soldiers who refused to serve in the occupied territories during the first intifada. So I started and then learning about the Palestinians and there was more and more room. And then I became a counselor and I tried to push the envelope. And once I tried to get about three minutes of Nakba content into a independent day mm -hmm. activity and I got a ton of pushback. And I kind of realized that it's independence day, like Israeli independence. Yeah, Yom like a, a whole special day devoted to it where we play act like and it's a surprise to the kids. All of a sudden the lights go out at dinner and we say, We have just been released from Auschwitz. What are we gonna do? We could go to North America, we go here, we're gonna go to Palestine and blah, blah, blah. And then we take a boat trip and then we get there and there's British guards being all British and blokey. And and then of course there's some Arabs running around in like towels and you know, it's like Terribly racist. Wait, did you? Um, it was this like play acting, like, uh, or or did, or did we hire? No, real I'm wondering if you like had the kids like go and blow up the King David Hotel and stuff like that. Is that was that part of? Yeah, that? right. No, yeah, we. It was a there was a selective history. Okay. Let's say. Right. Uh, you really had fictional. people dress up as Arabs though. So uh, when I was a, I don't remember if we did it when I was a counselor, 
but I do remember as a kid, we they would wake us up in the middle of the night. The the activity was called Aliyah Bet, which is the second wave mm-hmm. of Aliyah in the in the the 1940s. Um, and and yeah, we they'd wake us up in the middle of the night and say we've got to go, and it was always a surprise. And then we get out and then we're using flashlights, and there's like we hear. And usually the Israeli counselors would play the Arabs because they could speak some pigeon Arabic. Mm-hmm. Right. Really. Help you suspend your disbelief. Exactly. And but that's not the only Arabic content at summer camp. Every Friday night we would do Rikude Am, which is Israeli dancing, which I loved. Mm-hmm. Ah, right. And <laughs> one one of the songs on the cassette for the advanced Israeli dancing, after the little kids go to bed, the older kids get to stay up to it, was like an Arabic song where we did some like some, you know. Arabic vibes movement. And that was always actually the best yep. song, but I'm sure it was horribly, um, I mean, talk about cultural appropriation. Yeah. yeah. It's wow. a whole so, country made out of it. Yeah. And then what about your time in Israel? Yeah. Well, before that, I should also say, speaking of cultural appropriation, and it wasn't just summer camp. Year round, there was something called the Ken, which in Hebrew means nest. And in, in your local home city, There'd be activities all the way around to all year round to keep people connected to the camp community. And every year there was something called Neshef, which is a pageant, but we'd always do a musical and it was always a spoof musical. Mm. And I started, I wrote some and I ended up writing, music directing and directing a show called Little Shop of Hummus or Hummus, of course, as we pronounce it in the Zionist world. And what's hilarious about this show. Israel should make a a musical called Little Shop of Hamas. Mm -hmm. About Anwar. <laughs> yeah. Little shop of Hamas. Yeah, yeah exactly yeah. right. Little shop. See, you already got him working on it. Falafel. Stop yeah. at the little shop of Hamas. Yeah, I got to rhyme falafel with awful. But the right. thing is, the show was about, ostensibly about cultural appropriation and Jew and assimilation, how Jews are losing right. their culture. And there was a big, mean hot dog from outer space instead of the plant who comes and like uh. tries to sell him unkosher stuff and takes away his menorahs and whatever. But the, the location of the thing was a fucking falafel shop. <laughs> yeah, right. And this is our authentic yeah, Jewish yeah. culture. You're losing your polluted. culture. Like, you know, the, the one we're yeah. just going to supplant right now and take over. That's right. Now, if we had been talking about the plight of Mizrahi Jews sure. who were sure. uprooted from Arab countries where they were Arabic speakers mm-hmm. and fully integrated, that would have been one thing. Mizrahi we Jews were, are non Ashkenazi, are the Jews who are not Ashkenazi. Yeah, Middle There's two groups of Jews. Yeah, just some people. Yeah. Yeah. Also yeah, Mizrahi Sephardic. Means, mm-hmm. Well, there's it's actually there's actually I'm learning this a distinction, but because Sephardic Spain, is more from Spain, yeah, right. Mizrahi oh. is from the east. Okay, but it's all non-Ashkenazi yeah. to me, so it's all Greek to me. <laughs> well, yeah. well, I know yeah, exactly. problematic. I know problematic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we're, 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 we're going to unpack that in another episode. Mm-hmm. We're all on a we're learning all... curve. I could suggest some guests. I could suggest some guests for you, actually. But so anyway, Israel. Just to be brief, there is this w- trip called workshop that kids do after high workshop school. Workshops set will set you free. Mm-hmm. Workshops. Uh, yeah, those right exactly. over the camp. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's slang arbeit shop. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Actually, if you if you invert the first and last letters of workshop, you get pork show, mm. which is fun. Um, and you know, and you go live on a kibbutz and you work on a, uh, a kibbutz. And I worked in irrigation. And my first act of subterfuge or sabotage, unintentionally, was I was driving a tractor. I didn't have a driver's license at the time. I was driving a tractor with a big ass twelve meter pipe wagon behind me coming back from the watermelon fields or whatever Ironic, and I turned a watermelon, corner. little palestinian uh mm-hmm. subversion right there yeah okay 
That's right. Little did I know. Of course, that was the watermelon thing had already been cut, but I didn't know it. We didn't know yeah. anything. We saw the field workers coming in from Gaza every day. We were 20 kilometers from the Gaza border, had no idea what was what the reality mm -hmm. was there. None. But anyway, I turned a corner a little too sharply and I heard a, a crash and a pop and all and I looked behind me and pipes, metal pipes are flying everywhere because there's a geyser 30 or 40 meters high. I ran over the main Israeli waterline. That's good. Good for you. Comrade. It was probably going to, it was probably going to the Gaza settlements. Yeah. So okay. that was a year of immersion sort of into Israeli society and a lot of different, it's not like birthright. Mm -hmm. Birthright is this, it's sexual Zionism, oh. pure and simple. They terrorize you at Auschwitz and then they say, here's the solution. Yeah. This was more like here, get to know the country, some of the good, some of the bad, but it was still carefully curated. So right. when I, when I tried to arrange Palestinian guests or even anti-Zionist guests, there was always some security concern or whatever. Um, so I didn't fall in love with the place. It can be more dangerous when it's not overt propaganda because it has some like honest, you're like, well, they're not totally um, over the top. I mean, this is kind of, to me, it's like liberal Zionism, right? It's like, Completely. well, they're not totally biased. They understand Palestinians are human beings. And you, of course, you let your wall down mm -hmm. a little bit. Yeah, that's right. Well, it's it's not unrelated to liberal liberalism. Right. I mean, see, yeah. see, also, see also the Democratic mm -hmm. Party. Mm -hmm. And eventually I just had, when I got to McGill in Montreal and I actually met some actual Palestinians, and I actually listened for the first time. Up until that point, they'd been sympathetic abstractions at best. Mm -hmm. All of a sudden, I was like, hmm, yeah, pretty incomplete education. And I'm, I'm done with it. But it wasn't really until October 8th that I stepped up in any way to talk about this stuff publicly. Yeah. What about you, Matt? Well, for me, I I didn't I grew up secular, uh, and so go to Daniel, right? Even though I mean, you you were secular even though you went to Hebrew school, right? Yeah, I mean, right. I went to I went to Hebrew school just enough to right. teach me how to right. for my birthday. So when you say you were secular, Matt, like you didn't go to Hebrew I didn't school, go to Hebrew school at all. Yeah, me neither. Yeah, and so uh, my most of my connection um, to Judaism, other than like you know uh, culturally and. Uh, um, neighborhood wise and you know whatnot was through um zionism in terms of where do you grow up uh, i grew up in west los angeles okay. um and uh you know i uh, i went to public school but you know most of most of my friends were jewish i kind of just assumed everyone was uh there was jews and there was christians and you know and i was like in between i was both of them and so your family's mixed? My, yeah, I came from a, a mixed family. And uh, so it was for me growing up, I uh, my connection through, uh, you know, to Judaism was not a religious connection, but a, a ethnic connection and a um, sort of an ethno nationalist connection in terms of uh, Israel was the place that I would someday have to go when you know the nazis came back to power it was just kind of like you know b being told a lot that like one day this you know disaster is going to be befall the jewish people in america and we're all going to get to go to israel um and so zionism was just kind of it kind of supplanted any kind of religious education uh for me it was just kind of part of it it was just like you know you were um it's funny because like the the idea of the dual loyalty trope is always like trotted out. And I was I always kind of felt like, you know, well, you know, we're all Israeli. Like that was kind of like the thing. Um, and it wasn't until, you know, I kind of started growing up and went to college and that I started 
kind of pushing back on this idea of it and then kind of like started getting a little bit creeped out by the um the obsession uh with uh blood as it relates to Jewish people thinking that of that as kind of like a sort of race science Nazi connection um you know this kind of like ethnic right that we have as Jews to you know have this land and I started kind of like looking at all of the I mean here's the thing when you grow up in you know uh, uh, around a lot of Jews, which most people don't, um, you know them to, you know, be all kinds of people. And one of the types of people is I knew a lot of fucking racists. <laughs> I knew a, a lot of people were racist as shit. They were just white Americans, essentially, a lot of them. Um, and that included, you know, the kind of like inter-Jewish racism that you would see, uh, you know, um, between white Jews and Jews of color. And you would see that, you know, we're, uh, we're not, um, immune from being kind of, you know, assholes. We're, we're just people. Right. Um, and so once I started kind of like being deprogrammed, uh, and this was mostly through, you know, it's not nothing special at first. It was just kind of like going to college, uh, and just being like, Oh damn, this seems like it's fucked up over there. But I still kind of held on to the idea of like, you know, well, you know, everyone should just vote better. You know, the idea of like, if everyone just like voted for the good guy, <laughs> then, you know, then we could do a two state solution. Totally normal, you know, thing to me, right. this idea of like, yeah, no, just we should separate the ethnicities. Um, and then it wasn't until birthright. I went on birthright in uh, 2012 uh, when I realized um, how much the Zionist project relied on young American Jews in order to push this, uh, this agenda in order to like, and let me just, sorry, one second. I just want to make sure people watching know birthright is a program that's for Jews who have never been yes. to Israel. At least you can still go if you've been with your family, right. but they've never been like on their own to Israel and it's a fully paid for trip. Yes. It's a Jewish. You want to, you want to hear something, hear something just interesting, just to tie yeah. kind of come full circle. So you talked about the wire, mm -hmm. right? Well, I recently found out that uh, Benga Akinagwe, who played Chris yes. Partlow on The Wire, is, is a neighbor yes. of mine. And we, we went out and had lunch. So jealous. And first of all, he is not nearly as tall as they thought he mm. would be. So I, I, but he's still, he's, he's an incredible mm -hmm. guy. Despite not um, being that tall, still incredible. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know. I, I, what, I meant to, what I meant to say is inc incredibly handsome and attractive yeah. and uh, uh, just, I was happy. It's to a jab him. at me. When he met um, me, he, he immediately said, Matt, you're too tall. And then he punched me in the nose. Right. Right. <laughs> I punched you in the part that right. I could reach. The, the, so. I say no, yeah. but it was the dick. But, but here's the thing. This guy who is Nigerian born went on birthright. They also let non-Jews. Yes. Yeah. It is, it is not a, a black, a black guy from a black guy from Maryland. Yeah. yeah. Birthright. Why birthright? You just have to be open. I mean, we'll, we'll, we'll get, we'll there's get back all to sorts that. of different yeah. trips, right? Can so be, there, okay. there's yeah. there's some of the Taglit trips are that's birthright. Some of the birthright trips are uh, religious. Um, some of them are secular. Mine was mixed Jews for the most part. Uh, I, I and mixed non-bar mitzvah Jews. Right. And so but you can do one for non-Jews too. Like I, I assume so. I mean, it is they're selling you a timeshare essentially, and I right. think like the, the with the you know. Uh, there's got to be Christian Zionist groups. There's got to be all right. sorts, right? Because it's a sales, it's a sales tool. Yeah. Um, 
And uh, yeah, for me, it was all of these like, you know, uh, non-bar mitzvah Jews. And um, it was like, literally, I had my I had my bar mitzvah in Israel when a, one of the tour guides just was like, you're a man now and gave us all like Hebrew names. And uh, I was like, I'm pretty sure it doesn't work like that. I went to lots of bar mitzvahs. Right. I, I didn't I didn't I didn't do off tour and portion. What's your Hebrew name? <laughs> so I wanted it to be dove uh, dove. But for some reason, uh, one is Dobby. Like the fucking Harry Potter. I don't know. I felt yeah. like I felt like the tour guide was clowning me a little bit, but he called me Dobby. And I was like, I, I get that you're trying to make me feel small because you, you know, I'm six foot six, but well that that would probably be the diminutive of Dove. Oh because the V and the the V and the B are the same. I didn't letter consider that. Different. Maybe he was nice. Yeah. Uh <laughs> yeah. So like D D David becomes duty in, in, in oh, Israeli Hebrew. Duty. So all kinds of little yeah. no one wants yeah. to be duty. Uh, no, uh, but yeah. So, um, when I went there, I realized, uh, how important this trip was not for me, but for them, I realized that it was this like, um, really, oh, you know, it was a hard sales tactic. It was like, they were trying to make sure that we went back and told people what we saw there, uh, which was, you know, basically, what we saw was Jewish Disneyland in which like I went to a country in which they were singing songs that I sang at like Jewish day camp. And I was like, uh, well, well, this is bullshit. No fucking way. This is a whole nother country. You're telling me you made a whole country out of fucking day camp. Nah, -uh. I smell, this is a red flag. Um, and it was like on the third night of it, the craziest shit was that um, there was a giant mega event, a mega birthright event, all the birthright trips in an arena. And uh, they had all these like speakers and rappers and whatnot. Um, and uh, rappers, Israeli rappers. They, they were the, oh, Israeli. The, this one group literally rapped about how uh, Israelis invented the cherry tomato. And it was just they were really wow. stuck on this idea that they invented the cherry tomato, which is not true. <laughs> I uh, later cherry picked that fact. Sorry, I couldn't help it. Daniel well, my cherry picked. Ah, oh, very good. Come on, that was very good, very, very good. good. No, I, I, when I was in Naples, Italy uh, earlier this year, they told me that like cherry tomatoes come from Mount Vesuvius right near. Yeah, well, uh, and uh, Haaretz did like a, a a whole article where they're like, guys, what are we doing? Why are we telling people we invented the cherry tomato? Yeah. <laughs> uh, but um, the craziest thing was the headlining speaker was Benjamin Netanyahu. Um, literally, while he was prime minister, he he was he took time out of his schedule to come talk to us, uh, tell us that we um, actually belonged to Israel, that 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 was our home, and then told us to um, he's you know number one he wanted us to uh, make Aliyah, but but if we didn't do that, what he wanted was for us to um, be his own personal Hasbara army. And uh, he wanted us to go and tell, he's like, tell people what you saw here. And then he proceeded to tell us what we saw there. Uh, <laughs> you know, you saw a land where, you know, uh, uh, women can, you know, uh, work at jobs and uh, Arabs are happy all the time and tell them there is no wall. There is no occupation. Sleep. Um, it was very, I mean, it was just so clearly this propaganda trip, but I didn't know um, that in even in just going to this thing, 
that I was um, number one going to be so affected by it because I'll uh, I'll admit I left being like you know it is like kind of complicated, <laughs> um, but I also left um, with this like gross feeling of like I am basically being told you know as I think every. Jewish kid is told, you know, by family and whatnot, that it is our, our responsibility to um, stop the liars from spreading lies about Israel. And um, just kind of this gross feeling of like feeling like I was uh, a tool for this ongoing, you know, the ongoing uh, Zionist project, the, you know, greater Israel project even. And um yeah. And then it just like, it just came to a point where I was like, nah, fuck this. This is, uh, this is all, this is all bullshit and wrong. And it's used to justify some of the most atrocious behavior. And it is deeply, uh, rooted in antisemitism. And, uh, you know, as someone who does not like anti-Semitism, <laughs> uh, I was uh, I realized that this was a project that was almost um, relied on the existence and perpetuation of it in order to function. And I was like, oh, this kind of makes this the uh, biggest anti-Semitic enterprise in in my lifetime, you know, and I uh, yeah. And then I decided to fucking I don't know. I mean, I didn't really do anything with it. All I did was like get into arguments with people about it. Um, and that's kind of where I, you know, started finding more and more people who were critics of it. And then, uh, eventually, you know, um, I, I actually ended up getting a job. I worked, uh, for AJ plus for, uh, like four or five years. Uh, they were based in San Francisco. I met my wife there, uh, Francesca Fiorentini, who, uh, I think you, you guys have met before, um, Katie and, uh, we, uh, started like a comedy show there. And I was like, you know, I think I want to do like some videos about Israel. And that's when I first started making like uh, critical of Israel content, you know, and started talking about them as kind of an anti-Semitic entity. And, uh, that's when I first started getting uh, a lot of hate from uh you know the zionist internet personalities and i learned all of them like i learned about hen mazig years ago oh gosh, when yeah. he was trying to drag me for some shit i did with the aj plus and uh it's just like now i'm seeing all of these like this cast of characters like they're all back but now they have this national spotlight because of october 7th and i'm like people gotta know what their game is like you have to people need to be informed uh like henma zieg's entire thing is being like well i'm a gay person of color and therefore genocide is it that wrong you know like that's his his entire thing is like pink washing it's just like using the language of activism and the language of the left the language invented by marginalized communities uh in order to fight against their marginalization and using that and inverting it to uphold this, you know, oppressive system. And uh, if you don't know that, especially if you're like a liberal and liberals are, I think, uh, uh, kind of stupid <laughs> in that, like, you just say the right words and they're like, oh, you must be good. You said all my favorite you know words. And that's not you know great, Matt, is that, yeah. that sorry to interrupt, but they, they told you that your job was to go out there. Yeah. And like, Tell expose the lying liars who lie about Israel. Yeah. 
and guess what you're doing? Yeah, literally. That's exactly what I, I, I decided to do. I'm like, you know, at one point Just, I, I found the video of that speech that um, oh, wow. Netanyahu gave. Cause I was like, I was just like, I, I wonder if it's, it was such a big event. Maybe they taped it and I found it. And one of the th things that he said in it was uh, the, something like the only, the only cure for telling a lie uh, for, or the only cure for a lie is to tell the truth. And I was like, you know, interesting point. And I think you might be right about that. So, uh, yeah, I decided, uh, you know, fuck it. And I'm going to start talking about these guys and trying to expose them for the fucking lazy fucking liars that they are. Cause it's, it's all, it's all lazy. And I think people see that now. And I, that's one of the reasons I started it. The podcast now is because I was like, I think people, this isn't a niche subject anymore, at least not as much as it was like people kind of, they they know this world now because they're seeing on the news every day these fucking charlatans and worms going on TV and just saying the most disconnected from reality bullshit. And people are like, I I don't think this is I think this is lies. This feels very lie-y, you know? And when you say that you saw anti-Semitism coming from Israel, can you uh explain what you meant? Um, what I mean by that is that like Israel, uh, well, number one, the, just on a grand scale, it does rely on having an enemy in order to justify its existence. I mean, the whole purpose of Zionism is that Jews, because of historical anti-Semitism, because we've always been attacked, um, deserve to have their own state, uh, you know, because a state offer security that like, it's a very 19th century thinking here, but the, you know, it's the idea is that the only way to secure a people is through statism. Right. right. And so, uh, so on a, like a grand scale, it's like the existence of Israel relies on the existence yeah. of an enemy. Um, and and anti-Semitism. On anti-Semitism, right. Uh, the idea that there are anti-Semites out there trying to destroy you. That's why you need Israel. Um, which is something that the fucking like president will say, which is insane. Right. Um, but also like on a, on a smaller scale, you see the amount of, um, loathing that a lot of Zionists have for, uh, diaspora Jews, for Jews who are, uh, like American Jews, you know, anyone, um, from a country, uh, in the West, quote unquote, uh, that is, I mean, you know, that has people, especially who speak out, but even who don't, they don't like non-Sabras, <laughs> you know, they, not they, born in Israel. yeah, people who are not born in Israel, they, they view including us, Arab Jews. They, they don't yes. like Arab Jews very much either. Yes. Yeah. There's, there's a lot, there's a lot Darker skin Jews. of, uh, racism against Mizrahi Jews. I mean, just the name Mizrahi Jew is already an uh, like this part of it is like Arab racism there because they don't they they don't call them Arab Jews right there's like no 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 we are not Arab um, but yeah uh, just on an individual le level you know there's this idea you know amongst um, that Israel pushes which is that like Israel you know that's where the real strong Jews come from the square jaw Jews you know the yeah. the Aryan Blonde. Jews <laughs> blonde haired blue Aryan eyed Jews, you sure. know? And, the and hero of Exodus Aryan, was an Aryan Jew, kind of. Yes, but also like because yeah, yeah. they can take the so the Rome, like R R Greco Greco Roman. Yeah. 
Man. Right, right. And and like, you know, and kind of portraying uh the diaspora Jew, the New York Jew is like this sniveling he's, he's coward. Sniveling. Yeah, right. You who's, know, like these like, are the people does who does nothing while his wife and sister and mother get raped by Right, um, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Like and and almost kind of like a um uh, you know, in a way, blaming the weakness of uh, the non-Israeli Jew for anti-Semitism, you know, for the Holocaust. And, and you know, I think uh, if you I don't know if you have had uh, Ellie Valley on the show, but he's a great artist. Yeah, uh, I exactly. Think of that diaspora boy. What is it? Diaspora yeah, man. And yeah, it's like uh, Sabra man diaspora and, diaspora, boy and Israel man. or something. Yeah, Israel like. man and di- diaspora boy, his sidekick, who's this like, you know, he's drawn as this like sniveling yeah. Jewish coward, you know, and uh, it's it, th- that's very much a thing. And then you just like in terms of like uh, the amount of anti-Semitism that they um you know, uh, are okay with existing in America. I mean, right. you know, they align themselves with right-wing governments yeah, right. all over the place. They, yeah, and they, like, uh, right, right-wing governments with John Hagee, who says mm-hmm. that, like, it, Hitler was sent by God. Yeah. Yes. They, and of course, they, they create anti-Semitism by doing awful things in the name of Judaism and Jews and Jewry. Yes, yes, exactly. And, like, just the idea that they push the, uh, you know, the idea that, all Jews are a, you know, basically in lockstep right. supporting Israel and to, to the degree where you don't really, they don't really even give space to any, you know, Jewish critic of right. Israel. Um, even, uh, on the smallest level, they will easily j- drag, uh, um, any like a, an Arab who says any small hint of, uh, critique of Israel, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll destroy them. They'll do the same to anti-Zionist Jews, but right now they're like doing their best to yeah. not draw attention right. because their entire mm-hmm. premise of everything since the seventh is all Jews agree with this war. And it's fucked up that you are so anti-Semitic that you're against this war. Yeah. And they, perpe- they're the ones who perpetuate the dual loyalty oath. A hundred percent. Anyone else by presenting yeah. it as yeah, if they're all. Problem, yeah. yeah. And yeah. and then to complete to complete yeah. the irony. Sorry, Katie. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. No, no. I was going to sh- shift to some videos, but make put the okay. bow on it. Just just to sort to sort of put the bow on the irony. What do they call us? They call us self hating Jews. Yeah. Well, Jewish self loathing is at the the heart of Zionism. Yeah, exactly. Just mm-hmm. a reje- and I said I said this on your podcast, Matt. Mm-hmm. Our podcast, I should say. That's right. At the heart of Zionism is a deep, deep rejection of Jewish vulnerability, pain, suffering, and mm-hmm. exile. Yeah. And a rejection of the really the benefits of exile and all the beautiful things that have come out of it. Yes. Which, um, and exile just means dispersion, you know, just being in a lot of different places, having different perspectives, being slightly on the outs of society. Obviously, there's a lot of grave dangers to that. I have sympathy for the people in that era who were like, fuck this. I want a piece of the nationalist pie. Of I, you know, we, we deserve to be safe too. It's an understandable impulse. Right. But if you read Jabotinsky, I mean, you had Yaakov yeah. Shapiro on your show, Katie, yeah, and he just laid it out. Yeah. He read this Jabot, this, the skin, I was going to say skin curdling. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I think that works. Uh, the, yeah. The skin curdling quote from Jabotinsky, just about the, it, I mean, it could have been right out of Der Sturmer. Yeah. And the level of self hatred it takes to look at the Jews who died in Auschwitz and say they went like lambs to the slaughter yeah, yeah, as if yeah. that's a pejorative <laughs> or something like that right. creates this, uh, this imperative to flush the weakness out of your system. And now anyone yeah. who's weak 
or below you. And now you have, that's the psychological, emotional seeds of supremacy, which is a rejection of your own trauma, your own homelessness, your own orphanhood, right. and your own uh, pain. And, uh, and here we are. Yeah. yeah. Well, I wanted to show some of the videos that you've done, Matt, because they really capture so much about this liberal Zionism. (laughs) And uh, they're very politically useful, actually. Let's start with the one where, because you brought up growing up thinking that maybe you'd have to go to Israel to Mm, flee. So let's watch that one. I've told Matt this. The first time I saw a Matt Lee video, I totally got punked. I totally got punked. I was right ready to, I actually quote tweeted it. I'm like, look at this fucking liberal Zionist. (laughs) He was the sincerity, the deadpanness. And then I looked at the, and then I saw the Francesca connection and I was like, oh, wait a minute. Yeah. (laughs) And I'm hard to fool. So props to you, Matt. Nice. I feel like a lot of people do not understand what Israel means to me Uh, as an American Jew Uh, as a liberal Zionist. It's kind of like our plan B. Like our plan A, obviously, is to, you know, not have racist, bigoted genociders coming to power in America so we can live here peacefully. If that doesn't happen, then we're going to have to move to Israel. And the only way to escape the racist, bigoted genociders is to just do a racist, bigoted genocide ourselves. You have to understand that, like, one day I might have to move there, probably. Basically, we have to do our own genocide in order to not do, to get genocide. We have to do genocide firsties. I want to live in peace. I don't want to fight in a war. So I'm going to let the Israelis die in a war. And I'm going to let the Palestinians die even more in a war. I could show up and go, oh, good. There's no, there, we already did a genocide. And I can be like, that was bad. We shouldn't have done that. But, you know, I'm glad, though. I don't want to live in a war zone, so I want them to do the war now and then show up. But probably never. I don't even want to live there because I like it here because I've got a nice apartment. I'm in a good neighborhood for school. Like, I don't actually think I will ever move there. But just in case, they should kill all of them. Because what if we get genocided here? God forbid. So we got to do it first. Then, then I still won't move there, but I'll, I'll be glad. So that's uh, that's good. That's that's liberal Zionist. That, Matt, that yeah. one is kind of high concept. Like, there's no other one I know where like there's a moment where all of a sudden the world flips and your voice <laughs> yeah. changes and you go like it's well, it's like really one trippy. Kind of like that one, the bad one, right? Like, yeah, 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 yeah. I started yeah, doing one. that. I've gone yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. Let's yeah. play yeah, that one. Yeah. That's uh, clip number one, Brad. Yeah. I'm a liberal Zionist, and um, I have to say that I actually do agree with a lot of what the pro-Palestinian left has to say about Israel. The occupation is awful, and it needs to end. The settlers are crazy. We have to do something about that. Netanyahu is a criminal. He's going to lead Israel to ruin. The 17-year siege of Gaza has been brutal, and it is completely unconscionable. I agree that Israel is essentially, in parts of it, an apartheid state. But like the one thing is after the seventh, 
the thing is, is that I don't care anymore. <laughs> I'm bad now. Because, like, uh, here's the thing. After the seventh, I just kind of realized if it's us or them, then it's got to be us. No more them. I never thought I could be a fascist, but I think I'm a fascist now. And it's kind of great because I have all these new friends, me and Amy Schumer and the ugly guy from Stranger Things. And I'm getting all these new job opportunities. And I'm like, okay, if this is what I didn't know that fascism came with stuff if i had known that i'd have been a fascist a long time ago it's kind of <laughs> nice too because now i get to be like oh i'm bad so i'm just gonna be bad now like i can still believe all that other stuff too but just not now i'm gonna wait till later but for now i'm gonna be bad okay bye bye yep. so those are both really good and um thanks like high concept kind of as, D- as Daniel was saying right you have the you you turn yeah that yeah that just kind of like came uh yeah I just started doing that uh, for that video the I'm bad now video and I was like oh that's a fun way to uh like you know visually show someone turning into a little fucking baby because right. th- that is and with this one you had the red light too right uh yeah yeah All yeah, of a sudden yeah, yeah, yeah 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 I mean yeah. it was the yeah. I changed the light settings in this room I did it in here um okay but yeah like the whole you know like you know concept there in terms of like you know what i'm doing is uh i i turn into a fucking baby because this is like the thing i noticed like both of those things are based on conversations that i had and i've had nothing but fucking conversations since october 7th with um jews that i know who i've been watching you know like become nationalists out of fucking nowhere and and trying to like trying to you know like first hear them out because i'm not here to yell at them and you know these are people that i know i want to listen and i want to understand um and then me trying to reason with them and just like hitting this brick wall where i realize at some point they just turn into a little baby in the conversation it becomes yeah. like you know well you know i i don't know i just i just feel like we have to like what else can we do this is yeah, a big, i love that the i big love refrain. that i saw you- yeah, what else? And you actually tweeted this out. Nine characters. You just tweeted this out. It wasn't a video. It's like, is there something between nothing and genocide? Right. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Yes. I, it just it's the dumbest. It's the dumbest premise. Like, well, what we can't help but yeah kill thirty thousand people because what's the other answer? No response. Yes, and and, and that that's the uh, you know this like this baby character that a lot of people put on some people I think are doing it earnestly. I think, uh, you know, some people are just babies, <laughs> you know? Uh, and then some, uh, you see a lot of well, it. I've actually been really, dis- I've been really disappointed with the conversations I've been trying to have with babies. Like oh, I, I know. pull up to them in their strollers. Yeah, dude. And like very few of them turn into like cogent uh-huh. moral thinking adults it's like do you know i'm I'm talking to a brick i have a 15 month old baby and you know how many fucking things she thinks is a tractor everything and that's what it's like talking to liberal scientists they think everything's a terrorist they think everything's a terrorist they think everything's anti-semitism and and a lot of people are doing this in this totally i mean they're they're full of shit that when when someone online says especially someone who all they talk about uh, is how they are a Zionist and how Israel must win and all this, you know, these like online fucking paid Hasbaras. Some of them aren't paid. Some of them are doing it for clout, which, yeah. you know, congratulations. Or ideology. Or ideology. But, you know, I, I think it's uh, it's a mix of of, of all these things. Yeah. Um, but you see them, you know, do this totally, you know, like this bullshit. You tell me 
what should Israel do? Okay, military experts. And it's just like, no one is claiming to be a military expert. We're just looking at what's happening and saying this bad. And the fact that people want to immediately turn it, turn everyone that they're talking to into uh, the guy who, like, you can't enter this conversation without having the exact right answer for how to solve the Middle East. And it's like, that's their big one. Yes. That's their big one. What happens after a ceasefire? Right. And I say to them, if you've got your knee yes. on the sternum of a person for three years, never mind 75 years, mm-hmm. you do not get to say, well, what would happen if I got off him and obeyed the law? He might have a knife in his pocket. He might hate right. me. It's like, what would happen if we you ended slavery? That's, right. That's exactly right. You don't yeah. think whites, you don't think that you don't think that exact argument right. was used. And they had and they had evidence for it. There was the Nat Turner slavery uh-huh. yes. or whatever. Now, if you're rational, you understand that the Nat Turner slave revolt and John Brown and all that mm-hmm. is a response to the thing. Yeah. You know, right. it's a, it's a, you know, so you end the thing and then you deal with it and you don't get to use your insecurity that is built up over these years by choosing to be an occupier, which is inherently mm-hmm. an insecure and hopeless position and a traumatizing position for you, actually. Right. Because you have to be estranged from your humanity. Yes. You have to, you know, and you have, you're always trying to keep on something that you know is not yours. Mm-hmm. So you either double down on that, like your character is doing, mm-hmm. or you give up the ghost and you say, you know what? We got to face the future of not knowing what's going to happen. Yeah. But at least grounding it on, on principles that, that have some sanity to them. Yeah. Well, I want to show one where you kind of don't, because those are ones where you're kind of breaking character, but you have a lot of other ones where you don't break character. <laughs> yeah. These are um, the ones I get in the most trouble for. <laughs> yeah. So let's take a look at, um, uh, well, no, this is a different kind. I like this. This is like the one, it's one person playing two uh, characters. Let's oh, look at yeah. your morning video, number seven, Brad. Okay. This is a different kind. I think Israel's going to use this tragedy as a pretext to do like another Nakba. I think we as Jews, need to speak out about this man. Can you stop talking politics for just a moment and let me grieve? Where is your humanity? Okay, okay, sorry, sorry, you're right, you're right. Um, still grieving, I'm sorry. Okay, I'm ready. Yeah, Gaza's not there anymore, it's been wiped off the map. How? That's a great one. And then let's go to, um, oh, this is the very, uh, this is a, hits home. this one hits home. Let's go to uh, clip number five. Okay, so now South Africa is going to try to tell Israel that they're doing crimes against humanity. Really, South Africa? Really? Uh, didn't you guys invent apartheid? I'm just saying, given South Africa's history of human rights abuses, uh, maybe they should sit this one out. Am I right? <laughs> On a completely unrelated note, I would like to personally thank the Reichschancler of Germany for speaking out against uh, The Hague and against any kind of war crimes prosecutions. Um, Germany has always been and will continue to be the best friends of uh, the Jewish people around the world. Except for like a couple of other things. Don't worry about that other stuff. <laughs> All right. One more. Let's okay. do one more. Okay. Uh, let's see. This is uh, the frustration of being asked about Gaza when you're just a comedian. Oh, thanks. Oh, and then we have to do the Black Alley ship one. Okay, so two more, yeah. <laughs> okay. 
can no longer be silent. I know that I'm just a comedian and I usually use my platform for, you know, my little jokes, but some things are more important. And right now, I think it needs to be said that America is waging an illegal war on the Iraqi people. Hey, aren't you just a comedian? Yeah, I'm a comedian and a human being. And gay rights are human rights. Taking a wee little break from being a little clown today to tell you that kids do not belong in cages, Trump. Didn't you used to be funny? Yeah, well, some things are more important than being funny, like trans rights. Just go to my bio and you will see a link to donate to Black Lives Matter. You'll also see a ticket link for my weekend at uh, Yuckety Yucks over in Tucson. It doesn't matter if you're a comedian or if you're a musician, like if you have a platform, how could you not tell people about what's going on in the Ukraine? Uh, I don't think you want to know my opinion about what's happening in Israel-Palestine. I'm just a big dumbass. I'm fucking stupid. Like, when people ask me, I'm like, uh, you really want my opinion, Mr. Fucking Idiot? I'm the dumbest man in the world. And, like, I don't know about politics. Like, I'm just guy who sights up on banana peel and go, wee! You know, you don't want to... Listen... People asking me, it's like, oh, okay, well, why don't you ask, uh, oh, why don't you ask Bozo the Clown? Because that's basically what you're doing when you're asking me. Because I'm fucking, I'm so dumb. I'm a biggest stupid. I can't think good. Uh, I, I don't want, I don't want to. I'm just, I, like, listen, dude. That one was literally based on something I saw from uh, another comedian. That drove me up the fucking wall. Um, and yeah, I, I, I've not seen that comedian in a while in person. So uh, I, I wonder if, if, uh, if he ever saw it, but it, uh, yeah, straight up. Was this a video the comedian yeah, did? Yeah, it was a or video like a he like put or? out uh, and, and it was just like big, uh, I'm, I'm the stupidest motherfucker energy. And I'm like, I've seen you talk about other things, bro. Right. Like, yeah, th just you know, if you don't want to say anything because you're scared or whatever, yeah. um, that's I, like it's understandable. Like, I don't blame anyone in the industry for being afraid for their job or whatever, you know, afraid for their prospects and not wanting to rock the boat. But don't feign dumbassery. Don't, you know, it, it just, you know, hide, be, be, yeah. be a coward. But that's OK. Like, I'm not going to blame you for being a coward. I'm scared yeah. of shit, too. You know, just not this for some stupid fucking reason. <laughs> it's a classic thing where people are really um, free to be virtuous and noble and brave when it takes no bravery right. at all. When, uh, you, when you're speaking no out on things game, that basically yeah. fit yeah. the liberal consensus yes. that the corporate world can get with. Yeah. That, you know, there's just no there's just no cost at all in terms of your proximity to power and privilege. The minute you step out of that and, you know. Katie, your co-host on the other show, who I kind of know, has <laughs> faced this over and over again. And so have you by association. Like, you know, when it comes to Ukraine, if you have a different perspective or you try to, you know, fill in the blanks, it there there are consequences. Yeah. And that's because the US security state has decided which way it's going to go. And that's just the only way it's going to go. So this is a case. I mean, Israel is the most extreme case of yeah. thou shalt not tr trespass beyond this this place and people know it. Yeah. And, and, and I think also yeah, there's a, 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 to be honest, there's a bit of, um, you know, uh, there's a little bit of anti-Semitism there too, where people kind of are like, 
I don't want to say anything because uh, I'm scared of the Jews that run Hollywood. And I'm just like, listen, I know I'm literally in Hollywood. I'm in the entertainment industry. I'm not saying you won't face consequences. There are a bunch of fucking liberal or there's a bunch of Zionist bullies out there who will happily try to get you blacklisted. I'm not saying that that's not there, but I'm also saying like, what happened to the solidarity of earlier in the year? What happened to us against the bosses during the writer strike or during the SAG strike? Like you understand the concept of people power. And if you understand yeah. that, you understand that there's more of us than there are of them. And, and them is literally a handful of fucking Zionist assholes who run some like, you know, uh, top positions at some agencies, you know, uh, some production companies, but it's not a cabal. You, and you can at the end of the day, their uh, allegiance isn't to Israel uh, in general in, in Hollywood, then more so than it is to like sucking up as much fucking IP as they can so they can make another fucking Batman movie. Like that's the shit they care about. And so I don't know, a little bit of me is just like solidarity, guys. How about it? IP standing, IP standing for Israeli propaganda. Israeli propaganda. <laughs> yeah. They want to well, make Batman, but in Tel Aviv. <laughs> speaking of solidarity, let's take a look at this one about um, the sad breakdown in black Jewish relations. Oh, yeah. Um, which is addressed in oh, clip this one, eight. This one gets me so indignant. Hey, I have a message for black Americans posting a Palestinian flag on social media. What the hell, man? You know, Jews have been nothing but good to you. And this is how you repay us, by calling for a ceasefire in a seemingly unrelated country 6,000 miles away. Where is the loyalty? During the civil rights movement, my grandfather's best friend marched for your civil rights. I posted a black square. I didn't have to. I got to posted some eggs benedict. I had that very day, but I didn't because I'm a good friend. I read White Fragility. I read it and I said, yeah, white people, not me, do be like that. They do. We stood side by side with you fighting white supremacy only for you to turn around and be like ceasefire. Like, whoa, that's a pretty extreme position. Like, how do you think that makes me, a guy you didn't know was Jewish until he told you, feel? Talk to your Jewish friends. Ask them about Palestine and we will gladly educate you to the fact that you're not educated enough to talk about it. You see, Palestine is like the Confederacy. We fought a war to defeat them and their corrosive ideology, which is why when a neo-Confederate does an act of terrorism, it is justified for us to carpet bomb their entire neighborhood. It's something we do. Don't take it from me. Take it from Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., who once said, and I quote, Israel is good and my favorite, and they can do whatever they want. And I feel like you're betraying that memory. I know you're speaking up because silence is violence, but you know what else silence is? Golden. Silence is golden. That golden rule. Do unto others as they did unto you. Mm, it's in the Bible. We marched with you against Jim Crow. We marched with you against police brutality. And we marched with you against mass incarceration. And all we ask in return is for you to let Israel do Jim Crow police brutality and mass incarceration. Fair's fair, man. I'm sure pe did people uh, react to that. Yeah, did I mean, any followers or friends over that? Uh, no, I, you know, I, I, I feel like that is one where anyone who got mad at it, who I knew, who was like a liberal Zionist, who they 
avoided being mad in public at that one. Right. Of course, because that right. one it would be admitting that they were that exact type of person. Yeah. Um, but uh, no, that one I still get. Um, you know, uh, a little bit of, I mean, I still get comments on it, but from people who don't realize it's satire, I've, I've had a problem, uh, with, uh, especially on, on TikTok. Well, I've been kind of shadow banned on TikTok or some shit. I don't know what's happening with that, but, uh, um, I, I, on Instagram, I've had to like put like, uh, uh, some text in the video that says this is satire. Right. I used to have that with Twitter. Yeah, Yeah. It's, it's like, uh, yeah, people are. I mean, I think it's because it sounds so close to what actual Zionists say that, like, m- most people, like, if you're not catching the hint of satire, then you're missing the whole thing, and you're just like, this is just another That's fucking what happened to duel. Me. Yeah, yeah, and I, I, I get, I get, like, you know, kind of being tricked by it because at this point we've seen more ridiculous things come from actual people like earnestly it's saying true. this shit. Yeah. And so they used to be good at it. You know, when yes. I was in Israel, I mean, we were staying on a kibbutz up North called kibbutz Tuval, where we were pick, picking kiwis. Um, and, uh, but we had some educational seminars and we had a two day seminar on Hasbara, mm. not on how to resist it, no. <laughs> how to do it <laughs> kind of the fundamentals yeah. of it as an important thing, you know, and, um, there used to be some sophistication to it, but I think that's also because reality was easier to obscure 100%. and there were more Israel less social media, less social media, but also Israel had more of, you could legitimately say that there's a peace camp. You could uh, legitimately right. say that, you know, you know, Israel in 1982, you know how many Israelis came out in Tel Aviv to protest the Lebanon war on like moral grounds. Right. It's like a hundred, hundreds of thousands right. of people, I think were out in the street. It was the, That's the only war that they now. couldn't fucking spin at that time. It was the first time yeah. they were like, okay, we're doing word, word, you know, going to admit we're doing this as an act of aggression. And it, that's right. It, and Sabra and Shatila was known about. And- yeah. And, uh, and I think, yeah, there was a time where, you know, it wasn't just like people weren't seeing it on social media, but it was at a time where you could put your faith in the idea of like government, you know, this government is going to figure it out with that government. And, you know, the idea that the United States was going to, uh, help bring peace like you know peace in the middle east was like a 90s thing people said um and uh you know now it's just so clearly a ruse (laughs) that like you're not even you know they're not even lying about trying no one's even saying they're trying to get peace at this point israel is saying out loud what they've been doing this whole time, which is like, no, we're going to fucking, we're going to do ethnic cleansing. Just call it something else. You know? Yeah. They'll they'll do whatever they can. What I always noticed about Israelis was that actually. They're more honest. In some ways, in 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 person. In their bloodlust. Yeah. (laughs) Well, when I was there, I noticed that, that in their popular culture, there was a lot of talk about Shalom. There were like sentimental songs about wanting peace. And I kind of wish. That means hello, goodbye and peace, by the way. That's right. Now. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, there, but there's a song called Sheila Shalom, Song for Peace, that we used to sing. And it's this kind of utopian, we can get there someday. It's going to get there. But when you actually talk to Israelis, they didn't talk about the prospect of shalom. They talked about the prospect of sheket. That's right. And that word means quiet. quiet. They want quiet. So peace and quiet is what they want, which means tranquility, which means just make them go away somehow. Like we don't know why they keep bothering us 
all we want is quiet. And again, it's a very kind of, um, yeah, it's, it's the, it's the privilege of the, of the occupier to say, That's right. Quiet. why are you talking? Why are you bothering us yeah. with this, with these calls for freedom and justice? Yeah. yeah. Well, Matt, I know you have to put down a little future terrorist baby. <laughs> So <laughs> that's right. We'll let you go. Uh, just encourage everyone out there to uh, listen to Badass Barra. It's fun. It's a comedy podcast about Israeli uh, Israeli propaganda. Uh, it's a, it's a, you know it's a a little bit of a it's you know it's news about Israel. So it's going to be sad sometimes and stuff. And obviously, it's horrifying what the propaganda is trying to spin. But it's also. Uh, shit that is in much need of ridicule and that's what we try to do yeah and in whenever fact, we didn't even get to that so you have you guys have to come back again we can actually go through some husbara oh yeah or oh, my favorite husbara yeah too much of your videos to look at one of my my favorite things about the response to our song that katie and i and, and our friends did um is that we actually have people commenting i don't know whether to laugh or cry yeah i can't really do either but it's it's great like it's comedy that you don't have to laugh at to get the value, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. I feel like about Hasbara, like we have fun and you're so great and your guests are awesome. But like, I don't know, Joni Mitchell said laughing and crying, you know, the same release. And yeah. it's like, Cathartic. Yeah. fucking like in this, in, in this moment, catharsis comes in a lot of different forms and, yeah. and whatever we can do to just kind of crystallize the truth and show it. And sometimes comedy and satire is the best way because Truth is stranger than absurdism. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. Um, oh, they're asking yeah. for a link to the song. Brad, can we add that link, um, a description to that? I think it's in the the description, actually, but I'll put it right now. Well, thank you guys for, for uh, thank you for having me, Katie. And yeah, thanks great, for joining. Great really to see fun. you. And great to you see you on your you wire again. show. Yes. Yes. I'll hit you up about the wire. And uh, I'll yeah. Tell you how boring I thought it was at first. Yeah, well, everyone, you know, that's the thing. The wire, it, it takes a moment, but it yeah. really kicks in. You got to get it about six six episodes in. That's right. Yeah. Five or six. Yeah. All right. Thank you. All right. Bye. All righty, guys. I will see you next week. It's going to be a great show next week. I don't want to give it away, but it's going to be a great show. You're definitely going to want to become Patreon supporters to see the rest of that Max interview. He makes a bit of a presidential um, endorsement. I think it may be uh, an exclusive Katie Helper show exclusive. And you can do that at patreon.com slash the Katie Helper Show. And I will see you all next week. Bye, everyone. Thanks, Daniel. Peace. Thanks, Matt. Bye, Katie. Thanks again for listening to the Katie Helper Show. To hear the rest of that discussion, please join the Patreon at patreon.com slash the Katie Helper Show. Again, that's patreon.com slash the Katie Helper Show. If you like the show, please leave us a five-star review on iTunes. And as always, we remind you that this show could not happen without the support of our listeners. Our show is produced by me, Katie Halper. Brad Bloom is our audio engineer and an associate producer on the show. Our researcher is Joshua Bregman. And our theme song is by the band Cordova. See you next time. <laughs>